I know you've, a lot of you have worked all day long. You came last night. You come again this evening. This morning in school, I was around the school just a little bit, and those kids were a little bit on edge, it seemed like, because you had time change and then revival means. But it's good to be in the house of God and to be faithful to the things of God. And uh, Brother Mark has been a blessing to us, challenged us. I had a few people come to me last night. They're like, man, I got convicted last night. I think everyone should have been convicted last night. And we need to do our best. And that's one of those messages that we have it recorded. It'll be on our website and things. But that's one that I would listen to every once in a while. Just to refresh and make sure that you're not giving God the leftovers. You give God the best that you have. And a great truth, great thing to remember for all of us. So, Brother Mark, we're glad you're here. Come preach for us tonight. please the book of Nehemiah chapter number four Nehemiah chapter number four if someone near you does not have a Bible you be sure thank you for taking time to come and be with us here tonight Nehemiah chapter number four in your Bible and tomorrow night's the last night you say brother Mark I did somebody, but they haven't come yet. I want to give you a hint. You get home after the evening service, about 11.30, quarter or 12, pick up the phone, talk real long. Just say, you dirty, rotten backslider, I missed your revival. Then just slam that receiver down, okay? Now I'm going to tell you something. They may not come to revival tomorrow night, but they'll never forget. So really, make the effort. Don't quit now. You've been praying and working and inviting, and just stay at this thing. Nehemiah, chapter number four, one verse tonight, <clears throat> verse number one. But it come to pass, so when Sambalot heard that we built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Many years ago, I was listening to Paul Harvey, to a man in the state of Massachusetts. Man got up one day and went up in the attic of his house. In the attic was a trunk had been brought to America from England, trunk up in the family approximately 400 years. Now I went up there. Uh, some more articles of clothing, uh, heirlooms, uh, genealogies. He put all this stuff back in the trunk. He realized something. Due to shrinkage and warpage, the trunk contained a false bottom. May I move the false bottom? Underneath, there were two bonds issued by the state of Massachusetts to this individual uh, when? Uh, 200 years previously. And man, the guy got him, went down to the state treasury, walked in, presented him for redemption. Christ took the bronze, went in the back room and come out, said, hey, I got, I got bad news. Said about, a, really, it was after 184 years of compound interest. Said right now today, those bonds are worth $4,182,097,041. However, he said, we got a problem. Not enough money in the state treasury to cover those bonds. Now, the man was independently wealthy, probably a pastor. He agreed to pay no state and receive $100,000 a year for life from the state of Massachusetts. Now, why do I tell you that? Up in the attic, amidst the dust, the dirt, and the rubbish, the man found something of tremendous value. 
text I read, Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. On the way back, he starts to at one time, the power of God was manifest there. At one time, the glory of God had shown there. At one time, thousands of people come to worship God right there, but Nehemiah gets back. It's wreck. It's ruins. He stands there, here comes Sanballat, God's enemy. And Sanballat says, can God bring revival out of rubbish? Friend, I've got great news tonight. Whatever your situation, whatever your location, whatever your temptation, tonight our God, the great God, the almighty God, can reach down from heaven and change your life. And my friend, God can bring revival out of rubbish. Number one, first of all, I want you to see the characteristics of rubbish. Now, when I mention rubbish, two or three thoughts come to mind. First of all, my friend, in regard to order, think with me, rubbish has order. You all throw trash off the dump. They don't have big signs that say, please put chicken gizzards here. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> About the only thing I know of could hurt a garbage place would be chicken gizzards. I'll tell you that right now. Anyway, please put, uh, uh, please put empty bottles here, you know. No, no, you can take a whole little of trash off the dump. You dump it and get out of there as quick as you can. How come? It's a putrid, filthy rotten place. Now, for a believer's life to be rubbish, there are four things it talks about that makes a Christian's life a place of rubbish. Number one, first of all, my friend, rubbish has no order. And number one in that thing, first of all, rubbish is rubbish. Why? Because the first thing God demands is the gospel. What is the first thing God asks you to do? Not turn over a new leaf, not get baptized. Paul said, I never you first of all, number one, the gospel, how that Christ died for our sin, according to the scripture, he was buried, he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. Understand that. If you're unsaved tonight, the will be formed, but you'll be reborn by receiving Jesus Christ into your heart to be your savior. The gospel is what changes lives. Not a church, not a baptistry, not a preacher, it's the gospel. I'll quote it to you again. Christ died for our sin. According to the scripture, that's Calvary. He was buried. That's the tomb. He rose again on the third day. Thank God, according to the scripture. Now, hear me, please. Christianity is the only major religion that has a living person. And thank God, because Christ is alive, he can change your life. He can change your to heaven. He is the living Christ, number one, the first thing, here we go. At the times of ignorance, God winked at your Bible says. But now that means today he commands all men everywhere to repent. If you wind up in hell, you know why you go there? You disregarded God's command. You get saved today. Bible, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. In the entire Bible, not one time did God tell one person, get saved when you're 20. You say when you retire? No, the same word time and time again. Today is the day of salvation. If you go to hell because you disregarded God's command, you receive Christ as your Savior, not someday, but today. God's first priority is the gospel. Number two is godliness. Here we go. Bible again. Seek ye first, there's that word again, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? If you're saved, you ought to live as Christ would live. You ought to act as Christ would act. Hear it. You ought to react as Christ would react. Paul said that Christ may be manifest 
in my body. Here's what folks, Paul said. When folks see me, how I live and talk and act, I want them to realize Christ wasn't put in a tomb and decayed and rotted and stank. I want them to realize he's alive because he's living in me. What a powerful influence and what a great responsibility for us Christians. Uh, I was preaching at a church years ago just out of Decatur, Illinois, middle of a cornfield. It was called the Little Flock Baptist Church, about 35 people. With one faith family in that church, father, mother, and three girls, all saved except for a teenage girl that was 14 years old. I preached Sunday morning, had them bow their head. I said, you're not sure you're saved. I want to pray for you. Raise your hand. She raised her hand. We sing. Christians come to the altar to pray. A couple of folks come to receive Christ. She did not respond. Again, on Wednesday night, she raised her hand again. We sing that night. A couple of people got saved, but she did not respond. Friday night, it was winter. It was winter, a whole horrible winter. Friday night, the place was jammed. And um, I preached Friday night, had them bow their head, said, okay, if you're not sure you're a Christian, I want to pray for you. Will you raise your hand? Five people raised their hand. First hand I saw was Sarah's hand. I said, okay, we're going to sing a song. You want to get saved? Come and tell Pastor Lockett. You're a believer. Want to come and pray for yourself? Pray for some unsaved person? Come right ahead. Let's stand and sing. People come to get saved, to pray for friends, but Sarah did not respond. I said, okay, let's come one more stanza. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray, pray. I saw it. She got now headed forward. I looked around. I realized there was no one to deal with her. The personal workers were all busy. The pastor was dealing with someone. I left the platform. I went down. I said, Sarah, what did you come forward for? She said, Preacher, I come tonight. Really, she said. Really, I want to get saved tonight. I said, boy, you've made my night. You have. And I said, honey, you've got to help me. The personal workers are all busy. I said, who do you want to go with you and show you the Bible and pray with you and help you receive Christ? She started crying. Looked at me through the tears. Here's what she said, Brother Mark. Please, please, I want my daddy to come and show me how to be saved. Her daddy's dealing at the altar praying for her. I want my daddy to come and show me how to be saved. Brother Mark, she said, my daddy is so real, and my daddy lives in the home. Preacher, she said, I want the same kind of Christianity in my life. My dad has in his life, because to him, it's so very, very real. Can I tell you something? In 50 years of preaching, right there is the greatest testimony I ever heard. That young lady said, my dad's real. My dad's genuine. Not just sitting in church, in the home. He's the same in the home as he is in church. Hear me. Home is what you really are spiritually. For the sake of our family, God help us. Live right, act right, and help each other. And exalt Jesus Christ. The first priority is the gospel. Number two is godliness. Number three here we go. You ready? Giving. I love this preacher. I saw four men button that button back there. With, but wait, wait, wait. I'm not going to talk about money. You say, you know. I'm going to talk about preacher Bible. Ready? Here's that word first again. They gave first of all their own self unto the Lord. What is that? That's dedication to Jesus Christ. Now wait, not one time in the Bible did God ever make one appeal for partial dedication. In the Bible, every appeal is for every Christian to give 100% dedication. You say, preacher, that's asking way too much. 
Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Be laughed at witnessing. Go to church every time the doors are open. Uh, give a tenth of your income. Brother Mark, that's asking. Wait, wait. In the Bible, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your body a living sacrifice, acceptable unto God, hear it, which is your reasonable service. Take one long look at Calvary. There hangs God's Son, nails in his. Why? Because he was sinless. On that cross, he could suffer for your sin. The blood ran down. The sweat ran down. He cried out and said, I thirst. All hell, all hell is burning in his bosom. He gave everything. When they pulled the nails out, he gave his blood. He gave his life. He gave his soul. He gave everything he had. He was empty. The Bible says that. He emptied himself. Nothing left to give. And you as a Christian sit back and say, how little do I have to how little do I have to go? How little do I have to serve? That is pretty chintzy. A hill on a cross when Jesus Christ hung there. Every one of us, myself included, should say, how else can I serve God? Who else can I reach out to? Oh, my God, give us a burning desire to do something for somebody else. I was in the grocery store years ago, and uh, in light of him, probably... 28, 29, something like that. And anyway, I'm hearing laughter in the house of God. Now, I'm sorry. I get pretty... What happened? This. I get my age and my waist confused. I really do, but now, really, this guy, this guy was 28 or 29. When it was summertime, he had on a muscle shirt. I better explain, you don't know what that means. I better explain it to you sometime, okay? Yeah. He had on a muscle shirt. Guy had a great build. Apparently, he knew the cashier. She's checking him out, and they're talking back and forth. And uh, pretty soon, <coughs> come time to pay, he paid with food stamps. Oh, she said, you're not back to work yet? He said, you bet I'm not back to work yet. He said, so far, I've weaseled around. I've turned down seven different jobs. She said, man, my husband's back to work. His old apartment's back to work. He said, not me. I found a way out. He said, I'm not going back to work till all the welfare food stamps run out. Now, can I be honest? And line behind that soared to about 5000 Now, Fred, I don't mind paying taxes. Support older people, people that cannot work, people that cannot find a job. Hey, let's do it, okay? When somebody's too lazy to work, the best answer I know of is God's answer. Here's Bible, buddy. If a man doesn't work, then a man doesn't eat. That's God's answer to welfare right there in the Word of God. Hear me. Stop. Wait. The Church of Jesus Christ is full of welfare Christians. Yeah. They come. They sit. They love the preaching. They're blessed with the singing. You get a potluck. The line, the right yeah. They never, never give out a track, never turn the television off to pray. They're a welfare Christian. Shame on you. Shame on you. The Bible says we are to present our body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Reasonable service. Look at the cross, he gave everything.
Friend, anything Christ asks you or I to do is reasonable in the life of what he already gave for you and I. Now, first of all, we find the characteristics of rubbish. Number one is order. Number two is odor. Back in Isaiah chapter 1, they walk in the beautiful temple, and God leads down, and God in heaven breathes deeply, and God says this, this whole thing is an abomination unto me. In the Hebrew language, the Old Testament was written in, the word abomination means this, something that is putrid smelling, all right? In other words, they're a stench. They come to church. They got their best clothes. It's not their, they've, they've washed their body. They got their good clothes on. But they're a stench in God's nostrils. Why? Here it is. Their soul is full of unconfessed sin. Sin does not dissipate. Sin does not evaporate. Sir, if you're saved, sin leaves your life at one time. If, that's conditional, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Since, excuse me. Since the last time you confessed, it's all still right there, bubbling and boiling and a stench in the nostrils of a holy God. I was preaching in Minnesota about an hour north of Minneapolis, and the song leader was a tremendous guy, really a good guy, but uh, his name was Brother Martin, okay? Sunday morning to start the crusade, Brother Martin goes up to lead to singing. Pastor, I couldn't believe it. He made fun of me. He cracked jokes about me. He ridiculed me. Being the powerful, dynamic, victorious Christian I am, I determined I would get even, all right? And here's what I did. Sunday night, I'm at the back door. He pulls up, lets his wife and kids out, and he goes to park the car. His wife come in, and I said, boy, I said, uh, Sunday is a short day. She said, Sunday is a very short day. Let me ask you a question. I said, did you have supper tonight or do you have it after church? Brother Mark, she said, tonight for supper, we had hamburgers. We had it before church. We get home, put the kids to bed. I said, man, that is phenomenal. I love hamburgers. Now, okay, we're on the platform. Brother Mark leads the singing. Great job. He sits down. I lean over. I go, Psst. he said, yes, sir. I said, brother, is there a McDonald's or a Wendy's? No, sir. The nearest one is seven miles down Interstate 35 on the right-hand side. I said, how about Hardee's? He said, no. I said, uh, I said nothing. I said, wait, wait, wait. wait. How about uh, five guys? No, he said, no. Brother Mark, the nearest hamburger place is seven miles south of here. I said, you sure? He said, I'm positive. I said, that shocks me. He said, why? Never mind, no, why? This must be me. Well, what are you saying? You won't believe this, but I keep smelling up here, and I don't know where it's coming from. Brother Mark, he said, that's what I had for supper. Got any search. So I give the guy a couple of search. I don't say a word, not a word, okay? Wednesday night, I'm at the back door. He pulls up, lets his wife and kids out. He goes to park the car, and uh, his wife come in. I said, boy, I said, uh, tonight I went to Hint's house. We had fried chicken. That's how you tell somebody's called a preacher or not. They love fried chicken. Amen. Anyway, I said, boy, we had fried chicken. She said, I said, what did you all have? She said, Brother Mark, tonight for supper, she said, we had spaghetti. I said, phenomenal. I'm half Italian. My daddy was full blood. I said, man, I want to tell you, I love spaghetti. Now, we're on the platform that night. Boy, Brother Mark leads to sing him. He's got him singing great. He sits down. I lean over. I go, he said, yes, sir. How long have you been here? Seven years. 
you know these people pretty well? He said, I want to tell you something will amaze you. I've been in 70% of the homes here to eat. I said, good. Let me ask you a question. Are there any Italians here? Still search the crowd. He said, I don't see any Italians. The back row, third person on the right. He said, that family there is a full-blooded Italian. How come? I said, you sure? He said, yeah. I said, I don't know. I just keep smelling spaghetti. He said, Brother Mark, he said, that's what I had for supper tonight. He gave me some more shirts. I said, okay, good. Friday night the last night, people literally are flooding in, and I'm at the back door. Sure enough, boy, the, the song leader pulled up, let his wife and family out. He goes to park the car. His wife come in. I said, ma'am, you had a busy day. I know you teach school, but after school, you had a soccer game. I said, man, you probably didn't have for supper, did you? But she told me what she did. I doubted her salvation. I was certain that there was no dedication, okay? Here's what she said. Brother Mark, at noon, I went home, set the oven. Tonight for supper, we had baked liver. Glory to God. I can't believe a Christian would eat baked liver. I can't. You got to, if you're even saved, buddy, you got to be backslidden. Eat li yeah, yeah, so here we are. We're on the platform. Boy, Brother Mark's got them singing great. Man, they're singing, having a great service. He sits down. When the cable gets up to make the announcements, I lean over. I go, he said, yes, sir. Said, you have chapel in here, don't you? He said, yeah, we had it today. I said, um, did some kid get sick in chapel today? He said, what? I said, did some kid get sick and throw up in chapel? He said, I, I don't think so. Why? I said, man, something spells putrid. It almost gags me. I said, I said, man, what are you doing? You don't smell anything? I don't smell a thing, he said. I said, go see your doctor, please. Man, this place smells like a garbage dump. It's horrible. I said, so you don't think anybody got sick? I said, man, something smells putrid. On second thought, I said, it smells a little bit like liver. Now, when I made that statement, he goes just like this. He said, Brother Mark, <laughs> that's what I had for supper. Got any more shirts? I give the guy a couple of shirts. He stares at me. He said, preacher, I can't believe this. He said, you've got a nose like a bloodhound sitting there. Huh? Now, huh? yeah, listen, we're concerned what our what our breath smells like. God is concerned, hear it, friend, about holy hygiene. What does your soul smell like? Come on, get real. How long since you confessed your sin? The stench, the rottenness, the decay, it's all right there. Again, it's conditional. If we confess our sin, if we don't, it's right there bubbling and boiling and a stench in the nostrils of Jesus Christ that loved you and died. What an offense to God Almighty. God help us. There's no excuse for not confessing your sin. God's waiting on you. He wants you to. But you know you need to. It'll change your life. You drag sin around unconfessed, it will pull you down. No, my friend, here we are. Revival out of rubbish. It happens when, when you confess your sin. Number one, first of all, the characteristics of rubbish. Number two, and I'm through very briefly, my friend, we find the condition in a Christian's life when he has rubbish. Number one, first of all, look in your Bible. Look at verse number Nehemiah 4.1. Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones? Now wait. Stones. What's the Bible say about stones? 
It says some Christians have a heart of stone. What does that mean? It's hard. Can't touch them. The preacher preaching his heart out and there's no effect. When's the last time you walked in that door and the preacher preached and God spoke to your heart? How long has that been? Don't blame the preacher all the time, friend. Sometimes it may be our fault, but sometimes you've played the game and sin hardens your heart. Realize that. That's a Bible doctrine. You mess around with sin, don't confess it, and your heart gets harder and harder and harder, and pretty soon what to convict you, what bothered you, what disturbed you is ho-hum. God, help us. And the Word of God just ricochets off, and your Christian life sinks deeper and deeper and deeper. Why? Because you failed to confess your sin, and the joy is gone, the blessing is gone, the thrill is gone, the excitement is gone, the joy is gone. And the preacher preaches, you're like a statue sitting there. God help us. You don't have to live on the good old days. Then come back tonight if you'll confess your sin and get right with God. God said, I'll restore you. I'll bring back what you used to have. When you can't hide your sin from God. That's a, that's a kindergarten idea. He knows all about it. Not just to condemn you. He knows about it to forgive you. And I hope tonight some of you will get your heart right with God. Number one, first of all, in this thing we find... Number one, there's an adamant or a hardness of heart. Number two, and I'm through tonight, they were sitting in the ashes of indifference. Look in your Bible. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse number 2. Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Read further, please. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Look at those two words. Are burned. What does that mean? The fire had gone out. Wait. Hear me, please. In the Bible, it's of zeal. But what happens? When sin comes in your life, it smothers that fire. Jesus said, I'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. At Pentecost, it was cloven tongues of fire. What does fire do? Fire does one thing. But he fire spreads. His life is full of sin. He stops witnessing, sharing, and the fire was meant to ignite. A, get him saved, a coworker, a family member. The fire out, and your testimony is gone. And unsaved people wander toward hell in darkness because of the rubbish in your life. I was preaching Faith Baptist Church, Pekin, Illinois. In those days, the church ran a thousand. Preach, announce my text, look around. A man sitting on the third row from the front was visiting. A man, I would guess, probably 55 years old. I preached Thursday night, he listened quite well. The invitation, eight or nine people got saved. Many Christians come to pray, he made no response. Friday night, a big crowd, huge crowd. And if I preach Friday night, there's a man in the same position. Had them bow their head. I said, okay, if you're not sure you're saved tonight, I want to pray for you. Raise your hand up high. 
Some 30 people raised their hand. They were unsaved. That man made no response. But wait, he came back Saturday night. Same, same, same location. I preached Saturday night. I said, okay, if you're not sure you're saved, I want to pray for you. That church was on fire. They brought visitors like mad. That night, I saw 27 people raise their hand. The first hand I saw was that gentleman I mentioned. He just like this. I prayed for him. We sung. 21 people got saved on Saturday night. He did not respond. Sunday morning, a church went in. 1,400 people there. I stood up. I announced my text. I preached. That man's in that same general area. I finished preaching. Had them bow their head. I said, if you're not sure you're saved, I want to pray for you. Raise your hand. About 26 people raised their hand. His was the first hand I saw. If you're a Christian, not right with God. Stand and sing. When I made this statement, the man I mentioned, he just stood up and come down on the edge of the front row. I said, remember, we're going to sing. You want to get saved, come and tell the preacher or one of the deacons down here. You're a Christian. You want to come and get right with God? Come ahead. Let's stand and sing. When I said that, that man's already on the front row. He ran down. He grabbed Dr. Sorensen. He cried out and said, I want to get saved. I want to get saved. Jake Gray, a godly deacon, came down, took that man in the room, and 30-some people got saved that Sunday morning. Afterward, a beautiful spring day, I'm on the steps with Dr. Sorensen. Pretty soon, Jake Gray, a godly deacon, brought that man out and said, Joe, this is Mr. So-and-so. He accepted Christ today. I said, you have made my day. You have. I know you've been here two other nights, maybe three, and boy, I've been praying for you, and God bless you, brother. You've made my day. Thank you for accepting Christ. Brother Gray said he wants to ask you a question. Yeah, I said, go right ahead. He said, uh, three months ago, my dad died. My dad was not a moral man. My dad was not religious in any way. Preacher, give it to me straight. I want the truth. Right now, is my dad in heaven or is my dad in hell? I said, sir, I can't answer that. I'll tell you why. Maybe your dad possibly got saved as a child and got away from it. I said, maybe at work one day, someone gave your dad a gospel tract. He got home that night to change clothes, found that track, read it, by himself he received Christ. I said, sir, right here in Pekin, there are five churches go out and knock on doors trying to get folks saved. Maybe one night your dad's sitting home, I knock on the door, he opens it, a church visitation team, he asks him in, they come in, some soldier opens the Bible, shows your dad how to get saved, and your dad kneels down and accepts Christ. I said, now, sir, I've got to be totally honest with you. From what you told me, it would appear your father had never, ever, ever accepted Christ. If that's true, then your father would be in hell. But there's that possibility that maybe, maybe he did receive Christ. He said, preacher, thank you for being honest. That's what I thought. He turned to him. I had a thought. I said, sir, stop, stop. I said, sir, I can tell you one thing for sure. Wherever your daddy is right now, he's glad you got saved this morning. The Bible says there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. I said, sir, if your dad's in heaven, he's rejoicing you got saved. Your dad's in hell. In Luke 16 in the Bible, a man died and got to hell. When he woke up in hell, his first thought was, can somebody keep his family 
and his friends out of hell. Somebody get his family saved. I said, sir, if your dad's in heaven, he's rejoicing. You got saved. If your dad is in hell, he's happy. You got saved. The man turned and left. The auditorium was empty. I'm walking down the center aisle to get my Bible. I got halfway down. A thought hit me with tremendous impact. And the thought was this. This heaven, they long to see folks saved. They rejoice when folk get saved. But there's nothing they can do about it. The lost in hell, they weep and pray and beg that family and friends might get saved, but they're totally helpless. Do you realize tonight, friend, in God's vast universe, the only people can get folks saved is you and you and you and you and myself. Heaven cares. Hell cares. Christ cares. But do we care? We sit in our stinking rubbish. Talk about the good old days, what we used to do. And people plunge into hell because instead of paying the price for revival, we want to wallow in rubbish and slop. Oh, friend, we need revival. We need revival. We need Bible priorities. What do you want, revival? Or are you happy with your rubbish? Bow your head for prayer. Two questions tonight. Number one, the most important question you're ever going to hear if you were to die tonight, do you know you'd go to heaven? Now, I've got good news. You can know you're going to heaven. That does not depend upon denomination. That does not depend upon baptism or church membership or confirmation. None of the above, no. It depends on one thing. you realizing you're a sinner, acknowledging you cannot work or earn or save yourself. But realizing was sinless. When he hung there, hell burned in his bosom. And on that cross, he paid for your sin, hear the word, and made it possible, possible for you to be saved. It's not automatic, possible to be saved. You must invite him into your heart and into your life to be your savior. Three times the Bible says this, whosoever, I love that, that includes you, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you never ask Christ to be your Savior, this could be the greatest night not in your life, oh no, in your existence. With our heads bowed tonight, who will say, preacher, I know I'm not a Christian or I'm not sure. I made a decision once. I'm not sure it's real. For the mark, I'm not sure I'm a Christian tonight, but I'm concerned, and you should be. Preacher, I want you to punch you out. I'll not try and drag you down the aisle. You're here tonight. You say, I'm sure I'm on the way to heaven. Pray for me. 